Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Hi, everyone, and welcome to ProductCon, organized by the Product School. Today, we'll talk about how to determine product market fit for nascent emerging areas where we don't have a ton of customer signals to guide us to an obvious product solution. I will focus my time on hypothesis-based product development framework, which is a great way to make progress in these situations and uh, you know, ensure success uh, as a product manager. So before we go further, a few words about myself. I'm Neha Monga, and I have been a product leader for about 15 years in my life, and that's all I've done. So I have deep product knowledge from uh, my experience in a variety of different tech companies. Uh, I, have, I started my career in Microsoft, went on to launched games in Zynga, and then I focused on creating travel experiences uh, in Expedia. And finally, I'm at Amazon right now, leading a team of not just product managers, but a bunch of other disciplines as well. And uh, you know, my goal is to get more customers to use Alexa on their mobile devices. So if you have any questions about today's presentation, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'd love to get your questions and feedback, so uh, don't uh, hesitate to reach out to me. So let's jump in. So first of all, a question for you. I'm going to show you a bunch of different products, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, what, what, what do you think is common between these products, right? First one, this is a Kyocera visual phone, and this is the first phone that had a camera into uh, you know, built into the device itself, a phone device, a first camera phone. And the second uh, product I have here is a Fire TV remote, which actually was the first device that came up with voice search. And also Alexa Echo devices, the first, you know, uh, voice-based mobile assistants. And again, you might know some of these apps and, uh, you know, uh, websites already. Blue Apron, you know, they launched their own, you know, service so that send you a bunch of ingredients and you can make, you know, your dinner, lunch with them. Or a class pass, which is a service that allows you to select through a variety of different classes. And uh, Instagram allows you to share pictures, right? So coming back to my question, love to hear thoughts on what do you think is common between them? So definitely, you know, you can see a lot of similarities. They're highly popular apps and products and features which have you know, really high customer engagement and satisfaction. And you know, before these products came along, there wasn't a clear like, you know, signal that customers said like, hey, I would like a service that you know, sends me all the ingredients I can just cook, right? That's not the solution that customers came up with. That was a need that they had. It was not very well defined. And the product manager had to step in and turn that need into a customer product. And in fact, in some areas, customers did not even know they had a certain need. For example, in the case of Instagram, nobody thought that, hey, I want to have an app that just only shares pictures, right? Because uh, that's not a need that they recognize uh, explicitly and came up with a solution. Same thing for Alexa, same thing for the first guy who used a phone camera, and that's not a, like top of mind thought they had. So how did these product managers know what the customers wanted and what they should create? So, to walk through that, let me tell you about this framework that you know, we use in a lot of different situations like this, where the solution is not clear, 
and you know we've evolved into evolve our thinking into a product uh, so this is what we call the hypothesis-based product development, right? And it's a very simple way of thinking about it, right? What it means is, you know, um, it starts with making an observation and framing what you observe as a hypothesis. For example, you observe a customer problem, ideate on a variety of different solutions possible and hypothesize whether it's gonna lead to a certain you know, business outcome or not. And to put that into perspective, you know, uh, for the 5G remote, which had the first voice search built in, you know, we observed through customer reviews on our website that customers were having a really hard time searching on their, you know, TV screens, right? They use a remote to, you know, to an on-screen on keyboard and it will like click, 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 type A, click, 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 type B, right? And that was not uh, easy at all, right? And then we came up with a bunch of like different hypotheses. One of them was, what if we added a voice search capability and customers can just say what they need and you know, this will enable them to search faster and improve our business results in terms of you know, simplifying shows to watch and increasing customer engagement with Fire TV. But why do we call it a hypothesis? That seems pretty straightforward, right? We call it a hypothesis because these are some kind of assumptions, right? It's not as straightforward. Uh, for example, you know, in this case, you could say it seems pretty obvious that what's going to solve it, but at that point of time, we were not there yet quite, you know, with the voice technology we had. So I think the hypothesis in this case will be, is our voice tech good enough to actually actually solve this customer problem and lead to, you know, our business outcome of higher engagement? And that's what we need to test out. And that's why we frame this observation in terms of a hypothesis. To give another example, right? Uh, in case of Blue Apron, you know, we could have said, hey, if you created a service that sent all the ingredients to the customers, they can make their own dinner and, you know, it will simplify the problem of not having ingredients, not knowing what to cook, and then it will lead to customer satisfaction and repeat purchase at the Blue Apron service. And there's obviously a hypothesis here. Uh, do customers want fully cooked meals or do they want to cook their own meals? Do they already have you know, some ingredients at home or do they want all the ingredients in? So there are a bunch of different hypotheses, sorry, a bunch of different assumptions in this hypothesis. And that's the first step towards identifying uh, your hypothesis for product development. And next step is obviously to go test it. So let me walk you through uh, a bunch of details in this framework to bring this point home. So number one, identifying customer problems. And I think that's obviously the starting point for most of the products that we get, right? You have to start with the customer. You have to know what problems they're you know, facing and how your product or service could solve them, right? So, and there are a variety of different ways of getting this customer data. You can obviously, you know, if you already have an existing product, you can look at how customers are using it, where they're failing, where they're succeeding. And, you know, you can always conduct surveys and you know, ask certain questions about your product to the customers and you know, get the satisfaction. What are their pain points? What do they not like about it? What they like about it? Another really good way is you know, instead of asking customers, you, know, you can go to certain forums. Uh, this is actually one of my favorites. I, go, I work on smartphones. So I go to smartphone forums all the time and you know, read customer reviews. Oh, you know, I like this feature. Well, this wasn't working as well and so on. And another great source is, you know, looking at reviews on your website or, you know, if you have a sales team, they constantly talk to customers to sell them on the solutions and they also come back giving you really good insights on why customers want some things or, you know, what problems they're facing. And nothing stops you from doing broader research like ethnographic studies or like, you know, more evaluative or uh, other kind of generated research. 
using all these data points, you can identify what gaps you have, uh, what gaps are they currently facing, and develop your insights. And I use the word insight and not data because there's a very stark difference between an insight and a data point. A data point could be, oh, customers really like the color red. But I think the real insight here is, customers want this button to be red, not because they love the color red, but because it makes it more prominent for them to like, you know, immediately find it on the screen. So I think your, your insight shifts from you know, saying something like, oh, they love the color red. It's more like you know, they want to be able to spot the most important information quickly, right? Anyway, that was a, like, you know, a small thing I wanted to highlight because I've seen a lot of you know, upcoming product managers make uh, this mistake where they don't separate the data from the insight. I digress, coming back. So using customer data, you can identify what is the problem statement? What is the problem that you wanna solve for them? And the next step is, you know, finding as many possible solutions as possible for those customers, right? To give you, you know, to carry through this case study of the five TV remote, what are the different options available? If your new customers find it really hard with an on-screen uh, keyboard to, you know, type in their search terms and, you know, conduct a search on the TV shows, what are the different solutions available? So uh, there are different ways, right? First of all, you could actually put a keyboard on the remote control, which makes the remote control bulky, but it has been done. I think Vizio had a remote control with a keyboard at the back, right? Or you can add a touch sensitive trackpad like Apple did in iPods and you know, make scrolling really fast and scrolling as the way to search. Or you know, find a way to like, you know, find a show on your mobile phone and send it to TV to play. I think there are a bunch of different solutions possible. In this case, the product managers came up with, hey, why can't we just use voice and natural language to just search and you know, have a mic built in your remote control and the customers can say whatever search terms they're looking for and our natural language processing engine you know, converts a text, uh, sorry, speech into text and you know, conducts a search on behalf of the customer, right? So once you have this hypothesis about, you know, here's a problem, here's a solution. And I think if I solve this, it will like lead to this, you know, we need to know what is the business outcome it will drive. Does it mean that it will increase engagement? Does it mean it will, uh, you know, improve your conversion CTR? And I think the most important part of knowing the business outcome is making sure you come up with a metric that is testable, measurable, and actionable, right? Because, uh, you know, I've seen folks make mistakes about, oh yeah, it will drive you know, awareness. Awareness is a great you know, business outcome, but it's not a metric that's very easy to measure. There are definitely ways of measuring it, right? You can always you know, do a before after survey, like, well, do you now know about the service that you did not know before and see that uptick? So it's not to say like, you know, there's not a way to know about it, but I think as a product manager, it's very important to know what your metrics are how will you measure them and are they actionable? Like, okay, now if you knew that customer's awareness has increased, what are you going to do about it, right? So it's very important to know, uh, you know, what is a particular business outcome you're going after and how will you measure it, impact it? Another mistake that I see folks making is not knowing the time horizon, right? If you're looking at the CTR, a very simple test you know, could yield the results in just one week or two, right? But if you're looking at a long-term customer engagement or repeat purchases, for example, you need to know what is the time horizon. If you're talking about the TV purchase, you know, that happens once in many years. If you're talking about a phone purchase, that happens like, you know, a current, given current statistics once in two to three years. So you can't expect to run a test and see the impact of these metrics if you're not clear about what time horizon uh, is this business outcome based on. So that's another really important thing to keep in mind. 
Uh, one more thing that you need to really think about is, uh, you know, if this business outcome actually cannibalizes or has a negative side impact, side effect on something completely different, right? Yes, you're growing your new users, but guess what? It's whatever you discussed, you know, is having a negative impact on your existing users, right? So you always have to think about if I did this hypothesis, if I followed this thinking, will this lead to any negative side effects that I have not think, thought about? And lastly, you need to prioritize, you know, Many solutions uh, can lead to solving the customer problem we have. Which one is going to have the most impact and make sure you're prioritizing that to the top, right? Or many customer problems are worth solving for, which one is going to drive your business outcome the most and make sure you prioritize and focus on those, right? Uh, because it's possible to test a number of hypotheses, but you wanna focus your time and effort on the most important thing for the business. You know, once you have developed your customer problem, solution, and hypothesis around the business outcome, you need to test, test, and test. I'm showing like an A-B test kind of scenario, but there's so many different ways of testing about, you know, your particular hypothesis. You can always do a before and after test, right? You don't have to do A and B control versus test. You can you know, set a time horizon when the feature or something is changed on the website and you can completely you know, measure the impact before and after as a result of your feature. You can do reusability research. You can give prototypes in the hands of the customers, ask them to play with, and you know, do service at the end. Or you can you know, let people, you know, depending on your time horizon, if, it's, if you believe that you know, the customers need to play with this for not just for like 30 minutes, but you know, they, wanna, they have to use it for like you know, one or two weeks before you can truly measure the impact. You know, that's another aspect, right? Creating beta devices that you can give to your customers and then letting them use it in their natural environment and you know, home setting and seeing how it's driving their behavior patterns. So there are a variety of different ways of testing it and you need to make sure you're you know, using the right test uh, to, you know, that will lead you to validating or invalidating the hypothesis. The last thing you wanna do is to you know, end up in a situation where you have not invalidated or validated, you are in, you're still in a don't know land, right? That's what you wanna avoid. So you wanna make sure you have a conclusive one way or the other test that is driving an impact or is not driving an impact, right? So let's also talk about some of the common mistakes people make with this framework. Here's one example. You know, I hear product manager going like, wow, the sales improved when we implemented A. But guess what? We also change, you know, something else on the website, B, C, and D at the same time. So you will never be able to know whether A actually led to this particular improvement or whether it was B and C or D, or worse, A actually you know, negatively impacted, but you couldn't tell because other things improved to sales, right? So making sure you're only changing one thing at a time, there's only one variable, so you can actually correctly attribute your outcome to that particular test. Second thing uh, that I see is like, you know, having a myopic view. You know, let's say you, know, you implemented this for a small feature, you know, you made some changes to your UI and you know, moved buttons around and you're like excited, wow, like more customers are now clicking, amazing. But you know, in the end, clicking is not your uh, business outcome. Yes, it's a short-term outcome, but I think in the long run, you would try to see is like, you know, how is clicking leading to your business outcome, right? Are customers signing up more? Are, are you seeing increase in sales? Are you seeing increase in purchases, right? So clicking itself does not lead you to uh, you know, the business outcome. So I think you have to make sure you have the long-term vision and not being myopic about what is your business outcome. 
The next thing that you, I have heard from a lot of folks is like, yeah, I implemented this change and you know, my product uses increase. That's amazing. Customers are spending more and more time on my feature in this app. But guess what? They're spending less and less time on another part of the app. So your growth came at the cost of cannibalizing another feature within the app. And is this the right thing for the business, right? So you have to be very careful about ignoring the side effects or at least knowing how the system is being impacted and not just your area of concern or your product ownership. And lastly, knowing that, you know, uh, is this a sustainable change or is this a short-term change? When I was in Zynga, we did this really cool test where we updated the icon of the app and we saw people were clicking on it more. Maybe, mostly I, I believe it's like novelty factor. I'm like, wow, this icon looks interesting. Let me click on it. So that was really good. We saw more people launching the app and playing the games, but it was very short term. You know, the novelty dies off, right? It, like one week, we were back to the previous engagement level. So while it's not such a bad thing because we can continue changing the icon and drive, you know, spurts of engagement, it's not a bad thing, but it's very important to know that certain changes you'll do will not sustain. And you have to keep in mind, right? If you're looking for sustained growth, you have to measure for sustained growth, right? So moving on, I wanted to kind of do a simple case study to bring home the points that I'm just making. So let's go back to the Kyocera phone, right? Like I mentioned, this was the first phone that featured a phone camera. And let's talk about what is a problem customers might have been facing in order to lead to the solution, right? If we research our customers, right? Let's say, you know, this phone customers for a certain age group, you know, uh, in a certain region. And if you research them, you can, uh, you know, figure out like what kind of problems you may be facing. For example, like, you know, I, I have this perfect moment, but I have nothing to take a picture of it with because I don't carry my camera around, right? My and, you know, I want to be able to share those moments, even if I have the camera, share those moments with my friends and family immediately. And my camera can do that, but it doesn't have any sharing capabilities, right? It's not connected to the cell network. At best, you know, in today's time, you know, you can have a GoPro that's connected to Wi-Fi, it can upload your phone. But back in the days, you know, there was not a ubiquitous connectivity and, you know, customers were not able to capture their special moments and share it out with folks. So that is your problem statement right here. And there's so many different solutions possible. You know, customers can change their behavior. They can always carry a camera on. That sounds painful, especially back in the days when the cameras used to be so much more bulkier. Secondly, a second solution could be your camera can evolve and actually have a SIM card in it and then actually send your pictures to your contacts. But again, like now you're transforming your camera into your phone. You have to maybe pay for additional SIM card. You have to upload your co contacts on that camera again, right? Sounds painful. Or the other way down, you can add a camera to a phone, which I always have on me. I'm paying for that service for the self-service anyway. It has all my contacts, right? So with this information, we can come up with a hypothesis that if we included a camera in my phone device, customers will be able to capture images in their moment and share with their loved ones, leading to customer delight and improve the device sales, right? So that's the important part. Like, why are we doing all this? Because we believe if a phone could do this, customers will be attracted to buy their phone and the business outcome will be that device sales will increase. To tell you like an inter interesting story, as the real life story goes, the inventor of this particular uh, innovation wanted to take a pic of their newborn in the moment and immediately share it with family and friends. So as you know, he was awaiting the birth of his child, he thought about, wouldn't it be good if I could, you know, if my phone actually had a camera so I can immediately send it to. So that was a customer issue he started with, right? That's a customer gap that existed at that point of time. 
but then, you know, we really still had to validate like, you know, okay, this is one user story. Is it going to carry over to millions of users? Is this a broad use case that many will benefit from? And there are many ways of doing this, right? You can do focus groups and ask questions. Are you satisfied with your phone? Are you satisfied with the camera? What do you, in your ideal world, what would you like to do? And, you know, get those focus group results to kind of triangulate and figure out like, yes, there are many people, 80% of the respondents said they like to take a picture in the moment and share, right? 90% of people like take a picture with the goal of sharing with their loved ones, right? You can create prototypes of this device and share it with folks and ask them to use it for a week or two, right? Or you can simply launch a like, you know, small device and just pay for this kind of learning because uh, that customer data you get from the actual device might totally be worth it. And honestly, I don't think I need to go into the test results with you because the rest is history, right? Phone, uh, the cameras on phones are literally the biggest selling force, selling drivers. Like folks are actually changing phones today, not because they want more and more phone capabilities uh, outside of the camera, but maybe, but mostly because they want to use a better camera, take better pictures. And that's why, you know, Apple, Samsung, you know, they're innovating so much in the phones. The first Kyocera phone I showed you was 0.1 MB pixel, right? Sorry, megapixel. And now, you know, cameras are 12 MPs and, you know, 108 MPs, right? So the innovation has just taken off and, you know, it has proven to be such a great uh, feature. And it came up from the fact that there was a nascent emerging consumer need that they might not have been able to articulate themselves, but a product manager thought through it and, you know, innovated and tested the hypothesis out and led to this business outcome. So with that, uh, that's the end of my presentation. I'd uh, love to get your questions. I know we are doing this virtually, so you may not have to be able to do a live site Q&A with me, but please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter and uh, happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you and you all have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.